Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Mike Boris and this is Straight Talk. How la tu, Kefu? Welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Relevancy is difficult to sustain in this industry. It's part of tone culture anyway, with the hymns and the tone music. Record stores were hubs back then. Yeah, and, and, and you know, the Michael Jacksons and Princes and Madonnas. And, and then hip hop comes in, it's like, holy shit, you know, what is this? I gravitated towards that. While cops are shutting down shows. I, I worked with One Four in the early days, and they are very proud of, of where they're from, you know, and sometimes that can cause problems with, with people from other areas. But for me, it was, it was always about music, you know, I grew up with music like that. We can listen to someone like NWA, and we can disconnect where some from the One Four uh, on the doorstep. And I think a lot of people were like, oh, hold on, this is actually. Quite real. How remains true to the scene? Yeah, Kid Leroy. You know, I, I first came across him as a twelve-year-old, but you could see the talent. Like everyone knew that he was going to be who he is now. Then you would hear his music, and you're like, "Oh wow, okay, like this is something special." All <laughs> right, let's do it now. How la tu, Kefu? Welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Mark, appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Now. Okay, you came into here today. What were you listening to in the car? Well, I actually caught Uber. Did you? So, yeah, and they didn't have anything on, which I actually enjoy. Um, definitely better than listening to Kyle and Jackie O, that's for sure. But <laughs> I like I like silence, you know, and just taking in the sounds of the streets and, and, and the motor and just watching things. That's um, really interesting. It is because I think just from a young from a young age, it's just music, music, music. I couldn't do anything, couldn't bust in to go to the toilet. I have to find a song to go to the toilet or have a shower and go for a jog and, and in the car it's always but I think as I got older I started to need to cleanse my palate so I would just either play classical music or just silence you just said as a kid your parents are Tongan yeah they came to Australia in the 60s in the 60s yeah and you were born in Australia born in Canberra born, born in Canberra. Valley Hospital Okay, and you're a Queen Bee and Boy just outside of Canberra, like uh, outside yep. of the ACT. Why were you always having music everywhere you went? Music was always a part of, I mean, it's part of Tongan culture anyway, with the hymns and the Tongan music. And so I was always surrounded by it. Um, but then music outside of it, like the R&B and the reggae and, and, you know, even pop. That was through my older sister and older cousins. And as you do as a young and you, you know, just follow what are they listening to? Want to be like them? And so, you know, Michael Jackson was big, you know, Michael Jackson to Duran Duran to Bob Marley to, um, 
you know, anything. And it just felt good. And until the day I, I, I discovered hip hop and I just like, wow, this is like, this is talking to me. This is my generation's music. And I just head, head, uh, head first in the music and the culture and, you know, 30 plus, 40 plus years later, I'm, I'm still invested in that music and culture and, and thankful for it. Well, you sort of had a career out of that, but also you build up a, a brand out of it as well for yourself. Mm. That Tongan upbringing or the cultural side of your upbringing, how many kids in the family? It's pretty small for a Tongan family. It's myself and uh, my sister, older but, sister. But then you have cousins and extended yeah, my family. family. Like, I have hundreds of cousins, as a lot of Tongans do. You know, my my parents come from big families. Um, my wife's father, he's Tongan and he's got a big family. And even, you know, her mother is um, white Australian, but she's from the country. So she's got a big family too. So, yeah, thousands of cousins. And so... And they tend to gather together. They tend yeah. to, and they're quite religious a lot of times. I mean, yeah, Christianity very. is usually a big thing, or church on Sundays, etc. Yeah, and uh, and of course, with that church comes the singing. Yeah, sort of gospely sort of style of singing. Yeah, and like actually, quite beautiful. Yeah. It's pretty cool to listen. Very, to. Uh, yeah, goosebumps. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I've I've sort of experienced it. No, I've I've experienced it in Fiji. I haven't mm. experienced it in Tonga. I haven't been in Tonga. Very but, similar. Yeah, but it's like quite beautiful, and uh, you see young. Teams rugby league kids, for example, rugby union kids. Mm. Uh, after the game, they're going to start singing songs, mm. and uh, like you're right, it gives you goosebumps. So that was what you're brought up with. Then all of a sudden, you discovered hip hop, which mm. is slightly outside of the territory. Yeah, just, just a bit in terms of lyrics, especially well, well themes. Yeah, yeah, you know, thing, like, yeah uh, definitely. You know, you, you think about like you said, like religion plays a big part in not only Tongan culture but the Pacific culture in general. And so a lot of the music is based around religion and, you know, things that are happening in society. So, you know, what are things that are happening in society in the islands? It's quite simple. But then you listen to hip hop and a music that was born out of poverty and struggle and self-expression from the city of New York. And in New York and Tonga, total different, you know, like opposite ends of the spectrum. So... I think that was part of why I loved the music. It was just exciting, you know, seeing these, you know, like young African-American and, and Hispanic kids in faraway lands, in, in cities that were burnt out, but had this self-expression through music and dance. And I was just excited. It was dangerous. It was very anti-establishment. And, you know, for a young kid, that's, that's ticking all the boxes right there. Were you getting any pushback from your, your folks and your, your older cousins and the elders in your family? No, the older cousins were into it too. I, I got it through them. My parents, they, my parents have been always very supportive and understanding, you know, quite, my dad's quite a traditionalist, but my mom, you know, she came to Australia to study, to be a nurse at 17. So, and then put herself through uni. So she's quite progressive. So there's a nice kind of dynamic at home. So they, you know, they understood that we had to assimilate in some way, especially you know, in the 80s in Australia in a rural town like Queanbeyan. And so they let us take our, our own paths. You know, they, I mean, obviously have the guidance and the parental things happening. But, you know, I think a lot of the times, a lot of things I wanted to do, they were kind of like, okay, let's. Let's let him have his have his go, and then we'll see where this goes. So, the music was. I guess they also saw that how happy that made me feel, and like, okay, 
He's, he's all right. So what was it that got you interested in the culture of hip-hop? Obviously, I couldn't relate to the type of poverty they were living in, you know. In the 70s, landlords were burning down buildings that these people were living in in order to get the the, the insurance and things like that. So I couldn't relate to them on that on that level. But, yeah, it was just the self-expression. And, again, I think the it, it was new and it was cutting edge. And, yeah. you know, and I was – I gravitated towards that. And, it was, like I said, it was dangerous and – um, the music was just awesome, the rapping and the dancing, and, and I was just really intrigued by it all. And, and there was a level of um, myself relating to seeing minorities in, in, in a country, uh, which I felt at that age, and, and that connection was, was quite strong. Actually, that's interesting because around down Canberra Way especially, mm. being Tongan. Yeah. Well, being an islander, Pacific Islander, probably was a minority at that time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, maybe not so much these days, but definitely was in those days. Um, and we're going back to what to the eighties. Are we talking about the eighties? Yeah, yeah, I was born in seventy six. The edginess of uh, well, the innovation mm, of innovation, hip-hop probably yeah. really got to you a little bit by the sound of things. Yeah, because you know at the time, new wave was quite big. You know, like your Duran Durans and your Thompson Twins and. And, you know, they were quite elaborate with the hairstyles and, and, you know, the way they dress and even the production of the music. And then hip-hop comes in. It's like it's tough. It's rough. It's it's brash. You know, like the, the rapping is in your face and you're just like, holy shit. You're like, what is this? You know, and, and that's what spoke to me. And, um, yeah, again, it was just so exciting compared to, you know, your Michael Jacksons, your Princes and your Madonnas and it just, just it was head and shoulders above. For me, you know, that, that a lot of that music. When you sort of explain that, I'm thinking, fuck, you know, like uh, all a bit too pretty. Yeah. And, well, yeah, and, like, and even I mean, it, cool, it, but just pretty. Very, very cool. Um, and, you know, they're, they're pop icons. Yeah, yeah. And, and in, even in the pop world, they were kind of cutting edge, but they were still very polished and million-dollar budgets. That's what I mean by pretty, yeah, yeah, yeah polished yeah. and shiny mm. and uh, – and popular, yeah. But then, was, then all of a sudden, hip hop, hip hop yeah, comes yeah, in as these like kids wearing like tracksuits, yeah. You know, like and and again, like tracksuits were what we were wearing at the same time too. You know, it didn't really cost that much to wear a tracksuit. I you can, can do people that. look down at you if you wore a tracksuit unless you're going training or something. But you know, yeah, I can do that. You know, you yeah, just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I can do that. I, yeah. I can't be, I can't be uh, Michael Jackson. Yeah, I, I can't be Prince. I can't be any of them. Yeah, I may not sing, but I can rap. You know, I read somewhere that you know used to travel from Queanbeyan up to Sydney <laughs> to go on record stores and just sort of troll through what's going on and get, get mm. your head around it. Yeah, to explain that process. Yeah, because you know I came up through an era where the internet wasn't a thing. It definitely wasn't like how it yeah, is yeah. today. You know, no social media. You know, take ten years to download one song or or to download a, a photo. You're like photo of Michael Jordan. You say, oh yeah, I think that's Michael Jordan. You know and uh, you know, I think one of our friends in a group had a, a mobile phone, you know, and he's stingy with it, of course, you know. So that, you know, in Canberra, there was probably one Impact Records that was you know, institution that would import records from from around the world. That was really good. But then, you know, in terms of clothes or other music, you had to go to Sydney. And so I would save up my money, uh, go like Murray's bus or, or Greyhound and, Catch the first bus around six thirty. Travel three hours Sydney. Go shopping, records, clothes. Catch the last bus back. Get home 
by 10.30 p.m. What would you do in the stores? I mean, like, tell me, like what yeah, you, you know, like we'll go to Central Records, which was was quite big on Oxford Street there, and they had a big dance and hip-hop section and go there, grab a few Soul Sense, um, Next Level Records, and then would go to places like David Jones because, I, you know, at that time, you know, it was like Ralph Lauren, Timberland, Nordica, these kind of brands, and, and only – that place had it. So you would go there and, and sometimes my mum laughs because I would go after Christmas for the after Christmas sales. sales. <laughs> Boxing day. Yeah, yeah. And my mum would laugh because, you know, she always thinks he's, oh, I'm, he's such a stingy boy with his money and I would wait. That's smart, dude. It was, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, but you'll still get a good present. just won't be on the day, you know. Um, and, yeah, and just have like three or four bags and, Chuck it back on the bus and head head back to Queen. But did you know what you wanted? Were you sort of go, go go in there and sort of you were one of those guys who put the headphones on and you'd be you'd have the record going and you'd be listening yeah, to it first. Yeah, I was that too. But you know, I used to collect hip hop magazines as well throughout the nineties, and so I'd be looking at oh who's that? Who's that? Oh, okay, they've got something releasing this, and I would write a list of artists who you know the Cypress Hills, the Red Man, and you know all these American artists that I couldn't get in in Canberra. So I'd write this big list down and then I would go to the old record stores and look it up. If I couldn't find it, I would ask them. And, um, yeah, it was very, very exciting days. And, and you know, like record stores were hubs back then. Yeah. And, and and a lot of the times I do wish the young generation had something like that, have something like that. You know, they, you would go to these stores and you would hang out there for hours and you just meet people. You You heard about them. Like there were graffiti writers or there were artists and you heard about these people, but you never saw their face until they walk in and someone says, oh, hey, so-and-so. And then you're like, oh, that's, what's his name? Yeah, he's on my record. Yeah, and you go up there and say, oh, hey, I'm how, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was a beautiful time, you know. Um, I, I enjoyed that a lot. And, and it made me appreciate things a lot more. So how did you get from being how the guy – Spending his Christmas money on <laughs> and the sales in the record stores in the nineties, early nineties, um, to being how on Triple J. What's yeah. that story? What's that leap? Mm. Yeah, it was a long. It was a long process, you know. Especially going through a time where hip hop wasn't respected as an art form. What does that mean? You know, because a lot of times people think, "Oh, it's just a fad." You know, it's just type of music that people will love now and then it would just fade away in a few years' time. But obviously, you know, it became the biggest genre in the world. And um, so we just did it. Like we made hip-hop music and, you know, went to hip-hop jams because we genuinely loved it. We were passionate about it. Whether there was five people there, 20 people, didn't matter because we were sharing this art form and, and the love for the music and culture. And so myself and and... You know, there was a few kind of groups I belonged to, but then ended up with myself and another guy, Danielson. And is we, that here in Sydney or, or in no in Canberra? In Canberra. And and, and um, we formed Coolism. And again, you know, there was a handful of artists at that time, and we just did it because we loved it. You know, regardless of being recognised by Aria or, or being recognised by radio, we just did what we did. And and as things kind of progressed, more people started getting into it. Radio started backing it, um, especially like Triple J. And they, um, you know, they really started backing these younger artists. Uh, you know, also must mention community radio, you know, your two SERs and things like that who are always very supportive of the culture. I just know from a 
business point of view. Yeah. Triple J might it. be slightly different, but to SER, they're looking at, uh, you know, what's popular mm. in that they want an audience. They're not going to mm. put it on if there's six people listening to it. They might for a little while, but it's not going to last. Mm. Do you think they recognise you as someone who can bring the audience to them? You know, it's a bit of a risk. Yeah. I, I think that would be more so for the, for the bigger radio stations, whereas community radio, they were just focused on the arts and, like, what was happening and kind of just being invested in that. And, um, yeah, and I think, you know, tri- once Triple J started throwing a bit of weight behind, like, people like ourselves and, and Downside and, and, of course, the Hilltop Hoods, that's when it kind of spread out. And because there was only a few artists at that time, we became the faces of this new movement. And so Coolism, you know, we, we did a lot of great records. We won the ARIA Award and and I was just one of the, you know, one of the main faces for that um, for that movement. And Maya Jupiter was one as well. And she was the host of the Triple J Hip Hop Show before I was. And Nicole Foote was before her. and um, when she would kind of go away for touring or whatever, they would ask me, oh, would you like to, you know. Step in. Yeah, step in and see, you know. And I was like, oh, yeah, why not, you know. Play some music I love and get paid for it. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, and then, you know, she decided to move to L.A. and and asked a few people to submit demos and I was one of them. And, yeah, they chose me 14 years ago. Sometimes I think about government-funded um, programs, which I think to myself, they're a, they are a little bit of a indulgence mm. for small groups, but that's what government does. Mm. That's what they should do because they're the only ones that can afford it. Because commercial are going to do it, you know. Yeah. Today, FM's are going to do it, no. <laughs> or Triple M, God bless them. Um, <laughs> but then all of a sudden, they did bring something into Australia for Australian audiences mm. that already existed overseas. How important is that today? Because and is that dying off? It, it, it's kind of difficult because <laughs> hip hop was still relatively new and cutting edge at that time. And now you have many subgenres. Like it's so many, like you can't cover all of them. But I do feel like there is a responsibility for, you know, if you're a radio station and music is what you're doing, you have a responsibility to represent music and what is happening. Yeah, we can play the golden oldies and all that. I, I still love it, but I feel there's a... a a responsibility to to represent what's happening now, especially in Australia. You know, I think a lot of commercial radio have a, have a lot to do. You know, like I'm, I understand commercial radio. It's in the title, commercial radio. It's played fifty thousand commercials between three songs. I do get that, but it's like, man, we have so many exciting artists here that are doing well overseas, but you're not playing it here. Like, what, where's the disconnect? Um, well, how, how does that work? I mean, because like, I, I just want to give an example. I, mean, I love jazz. I love blues, yeah. and I love jazz. Yes, and uh, so, eighty nine point seven is a, a mm. in our area. It's, yeah. it's, it's painting a town hall. It's um started off as a jazz only station. Mm. Didn't have much reach. Like, but when I used to first listen to it, like 10, 15 years ago. In fact, I started sponsoring it a bit because I just love the music. Mm. But now it's started to morph into talk back. This talk back yeah, in the afternoon, right. it shits me. Yeah. I love, still love some of Saturday night, I love their show. Sunday nights, I love the show. It was great jazz. Um, but now they, they've had to change mm. because they've had to get sponsors. Because people got, they got to pay wages now. A lot of the people there were volunteers originally, but now they've got to pay wages. Do you think is that they're going to get the same chances to become as popular as what you grew up in? Or do you think they're not going to get the same chance to grow up 
and uh, because of the commercial mm. importance of playing to audiences, having friggin' talk back and yeah. and then doing other shit, you know what I mean? But yeah, it feels like music is, is less of importance. Yeah, sort of to me. That's how it yeah. feels. Uh, no, I feel you. And, and I would say no, but we didn't have the access to information and resources that this generation has now. Uh, so there's other ways of getting it. Yeah, you know, like you don't, you know, like I love Triple J uh, and a lot of people place a lot of importance on Triple J and and rightfully so, but at the same time I'm like, yeah, but Triple J is not the be-all and end-all. It's, it's not 1995 anymore. It was. It was. It definitely was and, and in certain ways uh, it still is, but, you know, we have the internet now. Yeah. And it's the same as we can talk about like uh, record labels, similar. Like record labels still have a, a, an important place in the industry, but you don't have to have it. You don't have to be signed to a uh, label anymore. You know, I mean, I have a label, but I also understand like, you know, these kids can make a song in the morning, record it, upload it, do a video all in a few days. Mm. And whether it pops off or not, it's, it's just another story. But that's just how easy it is now to to be able to make music and get seen and heard. And, and you know, we can listen to uh, a hip hop artist in Croatia that would have never had a chance to, you know, to go through the traditional um, channels that- Or never going to be playing on Triple J because you wouldn't yeah, have known about it. Exactly. Now it's like, oh, what's happening in Portugal? Oh, well, okay, these artists are, you know, these artists are popular over there. Let's just play that. But audiences needed someone like you when you were at Triple J because yeah. you're not at Triple J anymore. Yeah. But when you were at Triple J and for all 14 years, they needed you to bring the audiences to them. Yeah. So, in other words, you were the curator. Yeah, that's it. It's a curator. Like you're the people, curator. People say, like to use gatekeeper. Oh, and I hate that. I hate that term gatekeeper because, like, I came up against gatekeepers in the eighties and nineties. Well, normally gatekeepers yeah. trying to keep you out. Exactly. Whereas I'm the opposite. I'm like, I'm like the the doorman at the hotel. I'm like, yeah. Open door. Come through. Come through. Come through. And, um, yeah. And, and curators are important because, like I said, anyone can become an artist. But then you run into the problem of anyone can be an artist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the the quality control kind of gets a bit lost. But you do need people like myself, curators who are, can suggest like, oh, okay, if you like this, you might like this. Um, this is a new kid coming out of Fiji. Like he's only got 15 followers on Instagram, but he's got a lot of potential. You should check him out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like. That role of curating is is super important, whether it's on radio, whether it's on a blog or a podcast. Or even on YouTube. I mean, if you had YouTube. your own YouTube channel yeah. and you said, this kid, I just, I don't know, heard him somehow in Fiji. Mm. Um, he's 15. He's, this is his background, but mm. his stuff is gone. Yeah. Um, and because you're going to follow him, people trust you. Yeah. Um, they'll say, well, uh, hang on. Oh, if the king right. said that, he's yeah, he's into it. it. Uh, that, that'll do me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, so, definitely. But, but that's what you did at Triple J. Yeah. But now there's just a broader platform for you to do this sort of stuff. Yeah. So it, it, because we all, all of us, which is why I used to love listening to, you know, 89 per 7, which is Eastside Radio. Mm. I used to love Eastside Radio because they used to find stuff that I hadn't heard for a long time or yeah. I forgot about. Yeah, you know, and they just and they give you a bit of an explanation. They talk a little bit about the artist. They might talk about this particular. You know, I love that shit. <laughs> that's important to me. Yeah, it's yeah. like liner notes when you used to buy vinyl. I I was that kid, like 
reading, oh, who's the engineer? Oh, they're sending shout outs to all these artists in Japan. Who, who's that guy? And I love And you can tell a bit of a story about him. Yeah. In terms of hip hop, mm. how would you best describe yourself to the audience? What I'm, what you're going to do for me? Uh, I was just talking about this before. I, I would say um, it's a, it's a title. My wife actually said, told me, I said, "You're you're a cultural ambassador." I was like, "What what is that?" Yeah, some, <laughs> it sounds like some picked that a little bit though. Yeah, yeah, it's like culture. Which culture? Yeah, you know, and 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 that's it. It's 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 tongue culture. It's specific culture. It's hip hop culture. You know, and and I'm representative of that. You know, and like the hip hop delegate at the UN. That's that's how you, you know, you, like really. No, no, no. no. Oh, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was going to say, wow, the United Nations. <laughs> wow, actually, that, wasn't, that wasn't in the notes. Like, <laughs> that's cool. I thought the United Nations appointing uh, hip hop ambassadors. That's pretty fucking cool for the UN. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely um, representing the, the Pacific Island community, you know, and I always have. And it's always been, you know, going back to you know, my growing up. Like I, I didn't see any Islanders on TV, you know, like besides maybe the one or two playing for, you know, rugby league or rugby union or they're on the news or, you know, in the newspaper. And there just wasn't that representation. And I knew as as I was gaining traction with with what I was doing, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a representation of, of civic community in these spaces that we're normally not in or not even allowed or, you know, refused entry. You know, and that's that was important to me, and and then beyond that, it's 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 hip hop, because we can we can talk about hip hop in those same spaces where, as I was saying to you earlier, it was looked at as a fad and something that you know was going to be here one day and gone the next, and so I'm always representing hip hop culture, and um, those those two cultures are super important to me, and and. Whichever spaces I, I step into, I'm, I'm wholeheartedly representing that. So, I mean, there's lots of parts of pop mm. culture today. There's the the gang style, like, you know, the mm. postcode stuff, particularly here in Australia. Mm. Um, I mean, it's, it's a bit hot in terms of, I don't mean it's hot, bad, yeah. it's a bit hot in that, you know, cops are interested in it and all that sort of stuff. They close venues down, what have you. There's definitely a lot more inclusive, you know. Uh, it, it's interesting that, you know, hip hop was was the minority music and then it kind of turned into a very you know because it was always about inclusive but then it was always very male dominated um as, as with a lot of industries but in particular hip hop because it was always about bravado you know like I'm the toughest I'm the best and you know and those you know traditionally like male traits you know and you know the females or, or non-binary just never felt welcome in those spaces because it was, it was. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. 
Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. As always, like the rough and tumble kind of genre and, and, and culture. But now it's changing, you know, because the world is changing as well. And and people, all different types of people love hip-hop and, and they want to use that as a vehicle to express themselves. So I, that is changing a lot, which is awesome. So inclusiveness is a yeah, big deal? Yeah, it's a very big deal. What about, this is my tribe, this is what we're putting up with, you shit bags over there. Like, you know, what about <laughs> that part? What about that part? I mean, that's always part of yeah. hip-hop, isn't it? Like, um, I actually find that, I love yeah. that. I love that. Look, yeah. to me, I find that exciting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know its potential for, can blow up and cause problems, mm. but I actually find that pretty edgy. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and, and, and hip-hop has always been that, you know, like it comes from certain parts where, you know, there is a lot of gang activity or crime or, or things like that nature. So that's going to appeal to areas everywhere around the world. And, and like you mentioned before, it's, it's, it's red hot here in Sydney, you know, because there are a lot of beef. Uh, there is a lot of beef between certain artists and certain areas and, um, and it's spilled into music. Is that, is that, is that, Competitiveness between the artists, or is it, is it, is it postcode versus postcode? It, you know, it, it goes deeper than music sometimes. Right. I mean, I think now a lot of it is quite showy, and because everyone's a bit more in tune with, with what's happening, so now everyone's like, kind of capitalizing on that just to get the views and the, for popularity. Yeah, for popularity, because you know, you, you know, we talk about drill music, and drill is. Is, is a genre where, where they're specifically talking about violent acts that did happen or is about to happen and explicitly that's all they were going to, that's all you rap about. That has changed over the years. Um, but yeah, like that people kind of put on an actor because drill is, is, a, is a popular subgenre so people are just kind of jumping in and, and kind of toying with the idea like yeah I'm from here I'm from there but um, it's it, it's not as um, it's not as lethal as it once was have you got an example of something someone who has a postcode in their name that you know you've curated so to speak or someone um, yeah you know I've worked with a lot of artists from you know certain areas and you know in particular one four you know they're, they're group that's that that west yeah, you know they they come from from Mount Druitt and um and you know even though they they are very proud of of where they're from you know and sometimes that can cause problems with with people from other areas but for me it was it was always about the music you know I grew up with music like that um and so can you describe it to me uh it's very raw very honest um a lot of lyrics are lyric wise yeah, yeah a lot of a lot of lyrics are quite violent and um but again you know i i grew up with that i grew up with nwa i grew up with the ghetto boys and snoop dogs and you know all these artists that have a similar story and a similar background and um but i think where one four is concerned is it's here and that's what i think a lot of people were kind of a bit um they're a bit taken aback because or intimidated yeah 
you know, because I think we can we can listen to someone like NWA, and we can disconnect from that because you know the African Americans from the urban cities of yeah, LA, else. somewhere else, yeah, you yeah. know, and and what they do is not really affecting us. We just like it because it's entertaining. Whereas some on the one four uh, on your doorstep, and I think a lot of people were like, oh, hold on, this is actually quite real, you know, like, and you don't have to look far outside of their music to see, you know, who they are, you know what I mean? And and I think that for a lot That's of sort people- It's sort of exciting though. It is. It's, it's real, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we're not here to, to glorify the violence, um, but the music they make is exciting. And beyond that, they're actually great musicians, you know, they're, they're really good at their lyrics and, and the their rhyming schemes and the delivery and their tonality, you know. I was a musician as a kid, yeah. a pianist, and uh, but classical. Yeah. But like in terms of 1-4, the tonality and uh, and actually the quality of the music yeah. as, as such. I, I worked with 1-4 in the early days and, and, and when I first saw them, I was – you know, because a lot of a lot of rappers from those areas, uh, there were in, in those days were. I mean, those days it was like three years ago, and uh, not that long ago. <laughs> yeah, not that long ago at all. It feels like ten years ago, but you know, they were heavily influenced by hip hop coming out of LA. So it was very West Coast influenced with the West Coast beats and even rapping like an American. And when I first came across them, they were rapping in their natural accent, and I was like, oh, okay, this is. Automatically different. No, you mean actually like Sydney accent? Yeah, yeah like yeah, yeah. yeah, just their everyday accent, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And um, so that first off was like, okay, these guys are different. Yeah. And then I started listening to the lyrics, and I was okay, okay, these these guys are actually thinking about what they're saying. You know, it's not just your typical rhyming scheme. You know, they were like rhyming words that started up there and then end there, and they were really. Thinking about like good syntax, yeah, in terms of the way they were structuring it, yeah, you know, it wasn't just so clever, your, yeah, very clever, and it wasn't your everyday like a talent, yeah, you know, um, they, you know, because I, I think you know, with sometimes when you listen to that music, it's more about the energy, but these guys had the energy and they were lyricists, so it's more than just out of Compton, yeah, copy. yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, he wasn't just oh, I'm going to do this to yeah, this yeah, guy, yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. you know, they would really be specific with what they were saying, and and. And then, you know, you talk about cadence, like how they were saying it and, you know, the timing of what they were saying. And and then we talk about the delivery and, and the flow, like how they were doing it. And all these all these things were, you know, it, it was uh, they still had a lot to work on, but it was there. You could, you could see it. How did you see it though, by the way? How, how did you first sort of yeah. come about? Uh, I first came, well, a few people like my, my man Ricky and, and another artist, Elijah Joe, said, oh, have you heard of this group, 1-4? I said, no, I haven't. And um, but I said, oh, you should check these guys out. And so I went to YouTube and I looked at their their music. And yeah, like I explained before, I was just automatically the accent was was the first thing. That's why I'm very strong, strongly opinionated about. You know, we all know it comes from America. Yeah. But I always felt like if we rap in our natural accents, that automatically differentiates us from what's happening in America, the UK, Europe, Asia. And um, and that's what happened with them when I heard them. I was like, okay, so they're rapping in their natural accents. That's awesome. And then, um, like I was saying, there was the lyrics, the cadence and, and the energy. And it was also the look, you know, like I think we always, you know, as hip hop, we, we kind of want to dress like someone from America. But these kids were like, they were dressing like they were, from where they were from, you know, they had the little rat's tails and, 
you know, they had their track suits and the way they looked. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is it. This is, this is Australia, you know, like, you know, a small pocket of Australia that's underrepresented. And I just fell in love with what they were doing. And I just reached out and said, you know, if you want to have a chat and if this is, if music is something, cause I knew there was a colorful history with the law. Um, but I said, you know, but if, if music is what you're truly interested and want to do in the future, then let, let's talk. And we had, I'm sure they reacted like, wow. I'm not too sure, to be honest, like, because it was all like, you know, DM. So you yeah, kind yeah. of missed yeah, the context. Yeah, yeah. And but they wouldn't know who you were. Yeah, I think they knew of me. Yeah. I didn't know. I don't, I'm not sure how much they knew of me. Um, but yeah, again, you know, I, I talk about, People say, oh, yeah, you know, you did a lot for 1-4. But I often say, yeah, but you have to give them credit too for listening. Yeah, That is the important part. Like they could have just said, no, we're good. And I would have been, okay, cool. I would have left it. And who knows if they would have been where they are today if they weren't as uh, receptive. They said, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, let's let's catch up. And, you know, they turned up on time and, and they listened and, and yeah. that is, as you know, is that's half the battle. Like, Do you think they listen. sort of looked like, how is it, the older dude? Did you, oh, no, of course. Did, did you get that? Yeah, no, you know, I'm like that. You know, I've met some of their parents. I'm like, they're not that, <laughs> they're not that older than me. So, I, 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 you know, that's always in my mind, though, knowing that, okay, I'm coming in. I, you know, I think I'm cool and I know what I know and I, I'm in touch, but I'm still coming in twice their age. Yeah, you know, yeah. They're, they're looking at me like, okay, we know what he does, but he's not out here like us. You know, he doesn't, how, how does he truly know what, we, you know, we're about if he's twice our age? And I always know that. And I always, you know, walk into these conversations knowing that and, and respecting that view. And, and that's why I've taken on mental, uh, you know, mental roles and knowing who I am is, is important because, you know, I often think if I was in one four shoes and this guy comes in like twice our age and starts saying, yeah, yeah, this and that, and you should do this. And I just, I know I'll be thinking like, who the fuck, who you, the fuck are? you, man? Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. coming here, like telling me who I am and what I should do. Like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, that takes a special skill though, to mm. be able to sort of build that bridge. I, I, I guess, Someone else, another one came to my mind is a massive artist, Kid Leroy. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about that? Yeah, Kid Leroy. You know, I, I first came across him as a 12 year old. How? How? Um, well, actually, I saw him before. You know, I first came across him, like, I first met him around that age, but I first came across him on Facebook. I, I think, like, one of, you know, Facebook at that time was the organic reach was huge. You yeah. just posted something and then everyone was sort and one of his earlier videos i think he was living in adelaide at the time with a with the older gentleman and there's these two guys and they're doing this rap man i think he must be like 10 or something like super young and he's not a big kid either so he looked like he was three and um <laughs> but you could see the talent like the way he was it's like one four like it, it's not all the way there but you can see the potential and he's the way he's rapping and moving and the energy of him and i was like oh okay this cool kid, and then he moved to Sydney, and uh, it's a funny story that I share with a lot of people. Like I, I met him at a, I heard about him. So yeah, this kid is, he's, he's going to be something, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I hear that a lot. <laughs> you know, it's like football players, like you know, yeah, yeah. 
Totally. And it was at Manu Crooks. He's a, another Sydney artist, and he's had a listening party for his album, and he was and Leroy was there. And I walked in, I saw him, and, I, and my first thought was like, "Oh, that's cute." When someone's brought their kid. How old was he then? I think he was around 12, 12, 12 13. And I was like, and he was, you know, he's quite tall now, but he was short. I was like, oh, that's cute. Someone's brought their kid and um, it's great. Get them, give them the experience. And But then he walks up and he's like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm Kid Leroy. And I'm like, oh, shit, you're the Kid Leroy. And, and he just had that energy. You know, he was everywhere. Even as an underage, he was just everywhere. He'd make his way into parties, into events and always talking to people like I'm Killer Roy I'm doing this I'm doing that you should listen to this and and it you know usually for me that that puts me off you know you're like yeah yeah yeah, 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 heard yeah. It before. yeah I heard it before I'm here trying to watch this like can you just relax yeah. but there was just something very infectious what about is that? him what is that I mean like he, he had it he had it yeah what, what you look for and, and at that point I hadn't listened to a lot of it um, but I think it's because his age, you found it like quite endearing. It's like, oh, it's cute. These little kids hus- uh, hustling. And then then you would hear his music and you're like, oh, wow. Okay. Like this is something special. And I heard, you know, I heard a few tracks here and there. And it wasn't until Leroy was with, actually with 1-4 in the studio where I got to see him work. And I think, yeah, I'm sure he was 14 at this time. And he comes in and he's, he's it just has that great energy. Like I've only been in a room with someone with that energy where you feel like, yeah, this kid is something else. And I would watch him work. He'd be on the mic, do his bit, and then he'd go to the computer and, you know, record himself and fix his auto tune or whatever and then go back to the mic and then do his bit and then go back. And and he was just so confident and, you know, just had an infectious energy and, and he just knew like – I mean, it sounds strange because, you know, when someone does something, everyone's like, oh, I knew that guy was going to be something. But everyone knew that he was going to be who he is now. And, and But even now when you see it, it's quite surreal. But you, you knew. Still young. Yeah, and he's still young. But you just, even now you're kind of like, wow, that's that kid that was, you know. And, and that, I mean, he was grinding for a lot of time. But then when he hit that mark, that just well, what was that? Do you think that, that sort of uh, pushed him like beyond where yeah. it was? I mean, he was going okay, impressive, yeah. had that energy, all that sort of stuff. Next thing you know, he's selling out stadiums in the US, whatever. Yeah, like, you know, arenas like yeah. big, big, big. What is it? Yeah, I do believe when he went to the states and you know he he signed his deal over there and was involved with some heavy hitters that were connected with a lot of great talent and. You know, there's only so much a major label or, you know, a team like that can do. You know, they can push you and push you, spend all that money. But if the music is not good, it's not going to fly. You know, it's not going to connect with people. So he just had – he just, he just again, ticked all those boxes that need to succeed. You know, he had a team that was quite aggressive and well-connected and he just had the, the work rate and the talent. And so those two combined, he was, he was just out of there. The work rate, that's interesting. Yeah. You mean like – but in terms of being productive, prolifically productive, prolific, like, like just keep turning it yeah, out, yeah, like just always, just wanting to be in the studio, first one in, last one out. Like, you know, I think there was a few times where people were like, no, you got, you need to go home, and sleep. We got school tomorrow, 
<laughs> you know, there's been a lot of those cases for him because, again, like he started super early and, you know, you want him to, to, to focus on his passion, but, you know, he's still got to do what kids do. You know, that's, that's what, what builds you, your character. But, yeah, he just, he's just relentless in the studio. You've got a book and your book is called King, Life, Death and Hip Hop. Yeah. Um, and you, d- you did a collaboration with Christopher Riley. Yeah. It's pretty cool to a book. It's, it's quite surreal. It's know? also a bit, it can be a bit, whoa, uh, confronting too. Like, yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I know you have like quite a few books out and yeah, just even the thought of documenting something like that was was quite overwhelming. You know, Christopher Riley, is, you know, he was a writer at GQs at Men's Health now and he actually approached me first about documenting hip hop in Australia. Is that the book there? Yes. Yeah, book here. Yeah. And um, that's an old photo, eh? Yeah, yeah. That's, well, that's, that's cool. That's a cool photo. Well, that, that's it. That that photo is because we, you know, we talked about getting a new photo, but that photo oh, is very it. special because that is actually a, in Queanbeyan at an old like it used to be called Taylor Park, then it changed to Campisi Oval, named after David one of Campisi. the greats, David Campisi, and that's in front of the scoreboard. And you know, I spent a lot of years on that oval, and and to take that photo there and just represents certain time represents the area represents you know a lot of my life and wanted to put that on there that's photos by rush um so yeah that, that's that wanted to be i love that photo that's that's sort of set that's sort of giving me a bit of attitude but sort of it sort of says what it's what what hip-hop's about in a lot of ways yeah it's just a, it's a, it's a mild confidence you know yeah, what i mean yeah. like it's not to, being too cocky but it's, it's like i i know what i've done you know and um, and that's what the book is, you know, I, I my, my dad is very, very humble man. And he, he brought me up to be the same and, and I, and I've lived like that for a long time. And it wasn't until the later years I realized that being humble in certain spaces can actually be more of a disability than, than anything, you know, because you're, you're brought up to not big note yourself and not to rock the boat. And so, you know, you're just quiet there and just, um, you just appreciate that you're there and which I like, but then it's like, I feel like you lose out of a lot of things because you're too busy. Like, oh no, you know, I'm not, you know, my wife, you know, she's, you know, my wife, Shani, she's been a very big part of, of my evolution as, as, as a person and as a, I guess a, a media person as well. And she's like, man, this is not the time to be humble. You know, like you got to talk your shit and you got to stand by it. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do it. Come on. And so when Christopher said, let's do your book, I was like, yeah, well, I guess it's, you know, it's time, you know, and, and obviously it documents a lot of, uh, you know, uh, our history of hip hop in Australia. It also documents, uh, you know, my kid growing up in rural New South Wales to Tongan parents and his journey through rugby and religion and relationships and um, to to where I am today. And, and like I said before, it, it it's about representation for a young Pacifica kid to be like, oh, wow, okay, that's that's what he did and that's how he got there. So, it's not all about being perfect either. No, So this, this is uh, raw and it's really and all, raw. it's the whole lot. Mm. Which is sort of important. It is, and and it's a conversation I said with, with Christopher. There's a lot of things in there that not many people know, and but I wanted to put it in there because it, it I didn't put it in there for the sake of being like, oh, that's check this out. It's yeah. more like 
now this is this is why I am today. You know, this contributed to that. You know, and there, there is a lot of stuff. But yeah, I gave the the book to my mum, and I was like, before you before you publish it, yeah, um, it was. I just got the box of the first advanced copies yeah. and I said, oh, mum, you know, it's for you. I wrote a little message. And I said, oh, before you listen, uh, read it, you know, just just know there might be a few stories in there um, might be shocking. And she's like playing, laughing it off. Oh, we all, we all have our stories. And then a week later she rings up and says, oh, no. <laughs> she goes, oh, you're just reading the book. Yeah, just um, I, I'm just glad I'm finding out about, it now and not you know then and you know I'm I'm glad that you survived you know yeah, like, yeah. spoiler alert mum your boy's still here I'm doing all right and then and uh, and when did you release the book how long has it been out for now uh, November first so uh, yeah not too long ago and yeah very surreal and you know thank you Chris Christopher Riley he really kind of pushed me and it was very um, very encouraging and very motivating you know because. A lot of stories in there from like thirty plus years and trying to rethink about things and some things we bury too. We, we try not to. Remember. It's interesting because there's a lot of yeah. Uh, there, there was one particular story about a friend that passed away and and I, I was seeing a healer at the time and and it was a very big session for me like emotionally and I didn't mention it to Christopher but my wife did and she, oh did how tell you about this session he had and he's like no. And then my wife comes back. Oh, you didn't mention that. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, I, I don't think I purposely buried it. Maybe subconsciously it just happened. Um, so, yeah, like you said, it's, it's very raw. And there are a lot of things that people are going to be you know, oh, shit, okay. You know, because I think a lot of people know me, only know me from Triple J. And they think, oh, it's the radio curator. But They think they know you. Yeah. But then there's a whole story of, of you know, what made me who I am. Well, writing these books sometimes can be quite healing in itself. Very, right, yeah. You know, like it's it's just putting it down, your life down on pen and paper. It's good for your kids, good for your parents. Yeah. It's good for everybody. Mm. And all those people are going to read it. Yeah. Um, like, you know, I'm sure it sells really well, particularly amongst all the various communities that you dip into, dive into. Mm. To me, you're sort of like uh, sort of like the godfather in some respects. In that, um, in, in the nicest way, I mean, not a, not in the godfather's <laughs> mafioso. <laughs> but the, in that, people will talk to you. You're the like the person in the middle. You're the bridge that mm. say uh, one four might talk to to get to some other mm. audience, or, or you know, people like me who aren't really into hip hop, mm. but I know about it. But I'm not really into it. It's not my genre of music, but. I'm using you to get to that genre of music mm. and I find that really important. And I want to congratulate you. Four years of Triple J, that's fantastic. But where to from here? What's going to happen? Yeah, a lot of love for Triple J, 14 years. You know, any job, as you know, is quite an astronomical. And I feel very blessed and grateful to be able to have done that. You know, done a lot and a lot of opportunities have come from that. Um, so, you know, I have a, a joint venture with Sony Music Australia, record label, forever, ever. Uh, I'll be concentrating on the artists there. Um, obviously, the book. Um, hopefully, signing a couple more copies for you know for some readers out there. Uh, working on some TV stuff as well, like co-creating, um, like Australian content. Yeah, yeah Australian like for, content for streamers, like uh, for Netflix, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so cool. That's very exciting because that again, like like the book. You know, these are industries that I'm not familiar with, but I'm finding really fascinating. And exciting to step into these and, and being because you know usually I step into a hip hop space 
I'm the elder statesman. You know, yeah. I know what I know. But stepping into these new spaces, I'm the new guy again, which I love. It's it's refreshing, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just a a lot of a lot of things that I'm excited to take on. Obviously, my my family, kids, and wife, and but culture, music, like anything that's related to that, I'll I'll be there, you know. And and I think I'll be that person to, like you said, be in the middle. Of, and um, reach the wider audience. I really appreciate you coming in. I'm actually going to go on uh, go onto YouTube and look at one four. No, if you need any recommendations, I'm your man. Totally. And oh, by the way, who's your biggest influence ever? Do you think in hip hop? Growing up uh, in hip hop, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say a, a group like De La Soul. You know, they for me they you know before that it was very much a you know like very straight. Whereas, and then De La Soul came out and they were just more about the creativity. They were sampling different records than other artists were. The way they were saying things, they were just thinking outside of the box. The vinyl came with like a comic strip. Everything about it was so different and very unique and creative and innovative. And yeah, that's, I, I loved them. And, and I was very fortunate as, as a musician to support their group when they played in Canberra. And um, yeah, De La Soul, like. What period we're talking about? We're talking the first one dropped in 88, I believe, and they're still going today. I think that's a great entry point for you. Yeah. Don't start at one four. That might just scare you away from the whole genre. Like, now oh, fuck that. <laughs> you know, Dallas, let's go Dallas Soul, Tropical Quest, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Really nice to meet you. Thanks Thank so you, man. I appreciate, appreciate you, bro. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.